0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncarrierville.org. There are four things we're going to look at this morning very briefly in this sermon. Rejection, ridicule, repentance, resurrection. Four things, I'll say it again. Rejection, ridicule, repentance, and resurrection. First point, let's talk about rejection. So in verses 1 through 6, Jesus returns to Nazareth. Jesus comes back to his hometown and he has his disciples in tow. Scholars estimate that Nazareth contained about 500 people. Now, if you are from a small town, you understand what it's like to come back. And more than likely, Jesus is going to know most everyone who is there he's going to know most everyone in the synagogue as he walks around he's going to see friends and former neighbors and playmates and I know that's difficult to think about in terms of Jesus but it's true he's in his hometown he's in the place where he's raised and he is surrounded by the people that know him and what happens well as we read from our text this morning He is rejected. Think about how hard that is. Think about how hard it was for Jesus Christ to be rejected, to experience the unbelief of His family, His friends, and the acquaintances in His hometown. Now, there's something that I want you to think about from a secondary perspective. Not only did they not believe Him, but He has His disciples with Him. These men who have been called to proclaim the good tidings that the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ and He comes to His town and His friends and neighbors and even His own family, they don't want to have anything to do with Him. Think about how difficult that is in light of the fact that His disciples are with Him. They're standing with Him. Jesus has gone other places and He's been accepted, but not here and not even by his own family his brothers and his sisters it's a hard thing to swallow it's a hard thing to deal with one of my favorite commercials right now on television is i think see i think it's progressive where the little girl is on the basketball court and she's choosing her team and she chooses charles barkley with her number one pick. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. There he is, this giant of a man, this NBA legend, this Hall of Famer, and she chooses him with her first pick. He's, he's the number one pick, and he's excited, and he's so glad that he was not last. He's so glad that he was not rejected. So, I think I've shared this with some of you before, but Charles Barkley was my favorite NBA player growing up as a child. I, I know everybody was Air Jordan, but I was Charles Barkley. And I watched most of his games when he played for Philadelphia and when he played for Phoenix, and I still haven't recovered from him losing to Michael Jordan in the finals. Charles Barkley was my guy. When I was a senior in high school, he visited the school where I attended and I was ready, I was prepared. I had found his rookie card at a local shop, and I knew that if I saw Charles Barkley, I was gonna whip out this card, and I had a Sharpie pen ready. And sure enough, I'm in the hallway, I know he's visiting the school, and he comes my direction. And, and I was nervous, I, I was so nervous. And he, as he approached, I said, Mr. Barkley, And he looked down at me, and I just got flustered, and I couldn't get the card out, and I couldn't get the pen out. And I think I said Mr. Barkley two more times. And finally, he looked at me, and he took his big hand and his long arms, and he moved me aside, and he said, Get out of the way, kid. And he kept on walking down the hallway of our school, didn't get the autograph. I felt totally rejected. And when I turned around to walk back to class, I realized that a good number of my friends were standing behind me laughing at me. And you would think as a senior in high school that I could have mustered up the courage to deal with that. But I will tell you honestly and truthfully, I wanted to crawl inside my locker and die. And that's nothing. I mean, that is nothing compared to real life and real issues of rejection. And so think about Jesus. Think about what He faced. Think about what it was like for Him to come back to His hometown wanting to bless these people with the kingdom of God to explain to them how He has come to change everything, to reverse everything, and they didn't want to have anything to do with Him. That's so hard. That's so difficult. But here's the good news for us this morning. Here's the great news. Jesus may have been rejected in Nazareth, but He is never going to reject us. Jesus has experienced rejection, but He looks to us, He comes to us, and He says that in Me, you'll never experience this. Yes, you live in a fallen world. You live in a broken world. You live in families that are not perfect. You go to work with people that are not perfect. In your life, you're going to experience struggles and difficulties. You're going to experience rejection. People that you want to be accepted by are going to simply have nothing to do with you and it's going to hurt. It's going to give you a broken heart. But I'm telling you that in me, that will never happen. Because I am with you always by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I will never turn you away. I have you in my hand forever. I don't want you to experience the rejection that I faced, says Jesus, to us. Here, John chapter 6, 39-40. And this is the will of Him who sent me. Jesus is talking about the plan of God in sending Him to earth. That I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, I have come at the bequest of the Father. I have come for you. I have come on a rescue mission to bring you into the kingdom. You belong to me because the Father has placed His love upon you. I am going to give my life for you. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit and you are never going to depart from me. I have you. And I'm going to hold you until the resurrection when you come and you enter into the kingdom of God in all its fullness. As you come into the throne room of grace and you come into my presence, I am your older brother. I am watching over you. Nothing will happen to you. You will not escape from me. We have that confidence and we have that surety in Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to know as His people this morning that He loves us and He will never reject us. He will never let us go. Let that be an encouragement to your walk with Him. We slip. We fall. We sometimes go the wrong direction. But He has us. And will never let us go second point ridicule ridicule verse 3 they took offense at him the last part of verse 3 New Living Translation is kind of a more modern translation they translated and I, I think this is good deeply offended deeply offended is that surprising i think the answer is no it's not surprising that they were offended by jesus and his teachings why is that well the gospel is offensive i mean the gospel is offensive because when we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god when we proclaim jesus christ we In this language that we communicate, we talk about a God who is holy, and who is perfect, and who cannot look upon sin. In that message, when people hear that, they don't want to hear that they're sinful. They don't want to hear that they are rebellious people don't want to hear that there is a holy god who is in control of all things because they want to be in control. They want to make their own decisions. They want to do what is best. People don't want to hear that they are in the need, that they are in need of grace. Because and I've said this before, Our default mode as sinful people is that more often than not, we want to be our own God. We don't want to think that we need anything. We don't want to believe that we need a helping hand. People don't want to hear that they can save they excuse me, people do not want to hear that they can't save themselves. People don't want to hear that God's word is truth. They don't want to hear that. They want to do what they want to do. Often our culture wants to do what feels good and what is right. What our culture thinks is right. They don't want to submit to a holy God and His Word. And so the Gospel, it is offensive. And it's hard to realize that when you haven't been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the older I get, the more I go on this journey with Jesus, the more it makes sense. The more it makes sense. But for someone who is apart from Christ, it's easy to see, it's easy to understand how none of this makes sense. They're blinded. They don't see. They don't have ears to hear. Yes, it's difficult. So the, to the, for the world, the Gospel is offensive. And so how do we respond? When the world says, I'm offended. I don't like this. I think this is untrue. I think that this is all imaginary. That this is made up. That this is constraining. When the world says that, how do we respond? And the way that we respond is like Jesus. What does Jesus do? As Jesus walked on this earth and He dwelt among people that wanted nothing to do with Him and wanted nothing to do with His message, whether Jew or Gentile, what did Jesus do? And as you scan the Gospels, one of the things that's, that just stands out to me is He prays. And He prays a lot. So what is the first way we should respond to a culture that wants nothing to do with the Gospel? We should go to the Father in prayer. We should continually come before Jesus in prayer. We should regularly seek the help of the Holy Spirit as we navigate this difficult age through prayer. What else do we see about Jesus as He engages a culture that wants nothing to do with Him? We see the fruit of the Spirit pour forth forth in His life. When we follow Jesus through the Gospels, we see someone who is loving and joyous and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and who always maintains the appropriate self-control. And so here's our perfect role model in terms of how we deal with a culture that wants nothing to do with Jesus. We act like Jesus. We follow after Him. And we live out the fruit of the Spirit. We think about the words of Jesus in the Gospels and they continually exude grace grace and truth grace and truth so as we deal with our culture that wants nothing to do with the church that wants nothing to do with king jesus our response to them is not to yell it's not to point it's not to pound our fist it's to exude words of grace and truth and then when we look at jesus as he navigated the culture in which he lived, a culture that wanted nothing to do with him, we see that he was guided by Scripture. That he was always repeating Scripture. That he knew the Word of God. Of course he did. As the Son of God. As the Word that has come in the flesh. But notice how often his responses and his conversations came forth or came out of him was the Scriptures of old. He knew the Old Testament. He knew it backward and forward. And the way to respond to the society in which he dwelt was to help them understand the Word of God. So, that is Jesus and the ridicule He faced. We look to Him as we handle a culture that ridicules us. That we lean on him. We lean into him. We look to him. Thirdly, repentance. As we transition to verses 7 through 12, Jesus sends out his disciples to spread the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus is now empowering them in order to heal people and to cast out demons. Now remember, we've said in previous messages in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is reconfiguring Israel around Himself. He is the one true Israelite. And so He has chosen 12 apostles because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And now He is empowering them to go out regarding the kingdom of God, and He gives them the ability to heal and to cast out demons so that the people who encounter the apostles and they hear his, their message will understand who they represent and what is transpiring and what is happening in the coming of Jesus Christ. So that's why the apostles have this special ability to do what it is they do. They are verifying, they are attesting to the power and authority of King Jesus. And so as they go out on His behalf, they proclaim that people should repent. That people should repent. Sinclair Ferguson, a noted Reformed theologian, said, and I think this is a great quote, Repentance is a characteristic of the whole life, not the action of a single moment. Repentance is the characteristic of the whole life, not the action of a single moment. Jesus sends out His, he sends out his disciples into the world with a message of repentance. As Mark is writing this Gospel, he's saying the same thing to the people in Rome who are experiencing persecution. He's telling them to repent daily and to look to Christ. And the message is the same thing for us. That we turn to Christ in repentance. And here's the important thing. That's not a one-time event. Yes, we come to Jesus in faith. We proclaim that He is the risen Savior and we repent of our sins. Paul talks about that in his epistles. But we also are to do this on a daily basis. Why? Why do we repent on a daily basis if Christ has died for us, if He has been the atoning sacrifice for us, if He has made us right with God, if our sins are forgiven, if we are made new, why do we have to repent Why do we have to be people that are known for repentance? Is this integral to our own salvation? And the answer is no. It's a byproduct of our salvation. We repent because it's an act of worship. When we come before the Lord Jesus in repentance, we are admitting that He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our God. That we are fallen, frail, feeble creatures. And that His atoning work saves us thoroughly. We are worshiping Him through our repentance. We are admitting our need of Him and the work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is an ongoing act of worship where we deny self, we crush idols, and we lay ourselves before the cross of Jesus Christ. We are people who stand before the throne of grace with repentful spirit because we rightly and fully understand who Jesus is and what He has done for us as our Redeemer. Fourth point, resurrection. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about rejection. We've talked about ridicule. Now we look at resurrection. Verses 14 through 29, we see the story of King Herod and Herodias and her daughter. And this story is full of evil and debauchery. And you have to ask the question, why has Mark put this in the gospel? Why did Mark decide to tell the story of John the Baptist beheaded? Now remember, he's writing to the early church in Rome that's facing great persecution. If you think back to the beginning of our passage, Jesus is rejected. Jesus is ridiculed. If you think about Jesus sending out the disciples remember Jesus prepared them for the fact that they were going to be rejected and that they would have to wipe off their sandals. And then we come to the story of John the Baptist and we see great persecution. So as Mark is writing his Gospel to the early church, they are facing persecution. And he's telling them that Jesus faced persecution that john the baptist faced great persecution this is part and parcel of belonging to christ so don't be surprised if you struggle if you have fears if you are killed but that jesus has this that jesus is in control that jesus has done wonderful things remember We've been walking systematically through the Gospel of Mark. And all along the way, we're seeing a Savior who does unbelievable things. Blind can see, deaf can hear, crippled can walk, storms calmed, demons cast out, thousands of demons cast out. Jesus is showing Himself as the King. And Mark is saying to his audience, place your trust in him, place your faith in him, look to him, have no doubts, have no fears. Yes, you're going to experience difficulties, you're going to experience persecution, you're going to face trials, you may even die. But Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of your faith and your trust. And I want to show you something interesting in the passage. Herodotus' daughter comes to her stepfather and she tricks him. And notice, that, notice one of the things that he says. I will give you 50% of my kingdom. I promise you I will give you 50% of my kingdom. Here's this king Who governs over Israel, and he's saying to his stepdaughter, I will do anything for you, up to 50%. And as I reflected on that this week, as I thought about it, as I turned it over in my mind, I just simply kept thinking about the evilness of this event and the debauchery. And then I thought about something Who is our king? Our King is Jesus. And what does He do? He says to His people, I am going to give you the entirety of My Kingdom. I'm not going to give you 50%. That I am going to give you all the blessings that I have earned as the one true Israelite, as the only one who has been able to obey God perfectly. Everything that is going to come to me because of my faithfulness, because of my obedience, because of my work on earth, I am going to share with you. We don't have a 50% king. And we're not 50% people. He gives it to us all. All. He gives us eternal life. He gives us forgiveness of sin. He gives us adoption. He gives us entrance into the kingdom. And he presents us before the Father. And when he presents us finally before the Father, we look like him. Jesus gives us all, Jesus gives us everything. Our King pours out onto his brothers and sisters the royal privileges of being in the family of God. He doesn't do it halfway. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the blessings that you have given us that you pour out the covenant blessings upon your people you have not forgotten your promises to us lord jesus you are so good and you are so kind and you have been so faithful and so we pray that you would work in our hearts and that you would draw us closer to you and that you would mold us and shape us and conform us into your image father and that you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And that as we go forth from this place, as we go out into a world that is hostile to you, a world that is hostile to your message, that we would not be known as uptight, angry Christians, judgmental Christians, but that as we go forth from this place, that we would be known as people who are gracious and loving and kind and forgiving and joyful, and peaceful, and that we have self-control. We ask all this in the name of our Son, and your Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ.